Welcome to the How to Buy and Sell a Business, Business podcast. podcast. Thank you for joining us. As a reminder, legal topics we're talking about today is not intended as legal advice for general information purposes only. No attorney-client relationship is being formed by this podcast. We're happy to chat with you. If you've got questions, feel free to reach out to us. You can find information on our website at www.goformandlaw.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Buy and Sell a Business Successfully podcast. My name is Sam Foreman. I'm a business attorney in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, our firm is pleased to serve clients in Kansas and Missouri. Love working with folks buying, selling, or transitioning ownership in their business to the next generation. Um, I am pleased to be joined today by my co-host, Jake Wayman. Yeah. And according to this podcast, I don't like donuts. Yes. No, I, I'm really glad that you brought brought that up so we could come full circle. See what I did there? Dad jokes, full circle. It's a donut joke. It's a bad one. Yep. Yep. Jake is is uh, a very healthy individual. I aspire to those levels of health. He is the uh, the owner of the Orange Theory locations here in Wichita. If you are looking to absolutely sweat your hind parts off, um, I highly recommend it to you. It's been the uh, it's been a great workout for me when I go, and I've had several donuts today as well as barbecue. So if I accidentally pass out on this podcast um, because of my overindulgence of the culinary variety, um, you'll know why. It's a good motivation for me to get get back in the gym now that I've recovered from the Rona. So. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we are talking about not just the things that we enjoy in life, but we want to, we want to help you as our listeners. We want to, we want to help educate, empower, and equip you to have a successful deal process, whether you're buying a business, whether you're selling a business, uh, or whether you're looking to transition to the next generation of ownership. We really want to give you some good information, some good tools that we think will be helpful um, for you. We're doing an eight part series right now. That's, that's designed at a high level to provide you a good overview of the process, some topics, some terminology that that will hopefully help you really put things together, whether you're getting ready to do your first deal as a buyer or seller, or whether you've you know, done, you've done a deal before and you're looking at a new deal, but maybe it's been, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, um, since you bought your business or acquired your business or started it. Now you're, now you're looking for, um, the next step. So we hope this is helpful for you. This is part six. Um, how should you structure your deal? Um, so we're going to talk about some more technical concepts uh, in here today, but but hopefully this will be helpful for you um, as you think through you know what's what's going to be the best fit for you and your business. So I think the the first thing I want to hit on here, as you think about the structure of your deal, is really take some time to remember. The, and this kind of goes back to that first uh, and second podcast uh, episode that we talked about. Is is think about the number of deals that you're actually doing as you think about the overall structure, because this isn't just about, are you doing a stock purchase or a stock sale? Are you doing an asset purchase or an asset sale? You also need to think about how do all the moving pieces fit together on your deal? Uh, let me give you some examples of thinking through how many deals you're doing just to kind of frame this up for us a little bit. 
if you're buying real estate and the operating assets of a business, it might be more helpful to think about that as two deals um, because you've got different types of assets. Or if you're buying a business that has multiple divisions that you plan to break out and restructure in a particular way, you know, that might feel more like two deals because of the dynamics than just one deal, even though broadly speaking, you're buying one in entity or one enterprise. Um, if you're doing a deal where you're acquiring a business and you or bringing in investors in the process. You've got your investment deal, you've got your formation deal, you've also got your acquisition deal or, you know, to use our real estate and operating assets example, you know, deals. And so you could have, you know, three deals, four deals, you know, in the process pretty quickly on some things, um, at least in terms of thinking how they all fit together. I think it's important to understand how many deals you're doing so that you can be thinking about the moving pieces, but also then have a good appreciation for the dynamic that they all interact together and that they all influence each other. Because I think folks that that sometimes lose sight of that will miss out on opportunities to optimize the value that they're that they're creating, or they'll miss out on timing, or they'll miss out on third party issues, um, or they'll oversimplify the deal in their mind in a way that then just makes it more difficult to get done uh, in the way that they want it to. So. Jake, would you talk to us a little bit about uh, some of the things that you thought through as you were going through your acquisition process um, as far as, you know, some of the structuring elements? Because I thought, you know, as you were running your deal process, you did an extraordinary job being very detailed, you know, managing your team, doing your diligence, understanding your business and figuring out here's here's kind of the right structure um, for your business. Yeah. When we were doing ours, you know, we, we thought we were just buying Orange Theory Wichita, but we were mm -hmm. actually buying um, <clears throat> two organizations. There was mm -hmm. two entities involved in the process. Right. And then when I had, you know, my investors involved in the deal, I not only had to have separate, I had to have separate agreements for them for both separate investments too, mm -hmm. because there's an investment in one location, investment in the other location. And so we had to, you know, form up, you know, multiple different entities mm -hmm. um, through that process. And, you know, knowing that, going into that of understanding how the much complexity is in there. I mean, a lot of them were, a lot of the documents looked the same, but mm -hmm. it was different, you know, agreements that I had were not only with, you know, with one investor, but it was a different agreement with the next investor and, and the next investor, so on and so forth. And, you know, for us, it was, you know, we, we could have, you know, we actually did an asset purchase. And so we set up new entities to purchase the assets from the previous, um, with previous um, owner, which, you know, we could have done an entity purchase or a stock purchase, but that didn't make the most sense for us when we were mm -hmm. looking at the, what we wanted to accomplish with our business, um, looking into the future on it. But, you know, it is, it's, it's understanding all the different pieces of the puzzle that were out there when we were going into this. And, you know, it's when you come into dealing with a franchise, you know, like us, we had two different licenses we had to get transferred over to us through that process and the agreements we had to sign with them too. I mean, um, yeah, just it's going into it with eyes wide open of knowing it's not just the, you know, here's the, here's the business, you're buying the business mm -hmm. and that's all you do. Right. Right. No, that's that's a great point because it's easy to look at it at you know a, an an eighty thousand foot view or a thirty thousand foot view or <laughs> it's all arbitrary. You can pick your number um, and and for some folks to think about it as this is just one deal and broadly speaking it is. I am buying X. That's that's at a high level what we're doing. But then when you break it down and figure out okay my priorities are this or you know here's the moving pieces that I'm trying to manage and then it gets it comes into more more focus and uh, and all that. So um, but I'm really 
glad you you brought up the the uh, relationship with the franchise um, and the relationship with the investors. Um, and, and another relationship that can often influence the structure is, or, or two other relationships that can often influence the structure is your your financing relationship if you've got a bank involved um, as well as your customer or supplier relationship so I, I think I said two but what I really meant to say was three um, I promise I do know how to count to three folks um, but uh, when you're looking at those relationships those relationships can sometimes dictate you know how you're going to end up being structured and this is again where it's really important to think about what does the overall process look like you know who's involved who has what kind of say or what kind of influence over the outcome so that you can have those conversations early on to get things structured right so that you get pointed in the right direction um, as early as possible so that you don't spin your wheels and and equally as importantly so that you don't waste time or money on going in a direction that you're ultimately not able to execute on because sometimes for example a franchisor might say or or another key party that has a contract with the business you're going to acquire might say hey in order for, for us to do this you have to be structured in this particular fashion or you have to do it this way and we will not allow you to do it another way or for you to do it the way that you want to do it you have to go to them and say hey here's what i want to do i need to get permission and that's got a time on it and you need to understand that timeline so that your deal can get done on time. Well, and um, even, even kind of going into mm -hmm. setting up your entity, like if, what do you set up as an LLC or a C-Corp, S-Corp? Mm -hmm. You know, that all is in discussions you have to have. If you have investors on board, talking with them about that. You know, right. what, what are you going to set it up for? And, and honestly, it boils down to your what's your long-term goals? Like what right. are your goals? If they're short-term, you structure here. If you're long-term, structure like this. And because that all makes a difference mm -hmm. because if you – and kind of on a point we made in the pre, a previous um, – a previous episode was, you know, when you're buying a business, you have to you have to buy with the intent of possibly selling it down their road. And what does that look like? And making those decisions, mm -hmm. and you know, that matters in the types of documentation that you have to that you have to put forth. Because even with you know, we're talking about the bank relationship too. I mean, that's a whole other relationship. So like with us, is we had to have two separate two separate loans that we had to go out mm -hmm. and get two, not just one, right. but it was two. And so then they had to have all the documentation for those two. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so yeah, so I think it's it's thinking really deep and hard about, you know, what do you want your entity to be set up as? You know, a lot of people quickly just jump to an LLC and just say, mm -hmm. let's get it set up. But, is, you know, is that the best long-term decision for your organization? Right, right. And that's where having those early stage conversations with your team can be particularly important as you're thinking about entity choice. Um, you know, sometimes those pass-through losses are really important that an LLC could provide, or sometimes, you know, the tax benefits based on, you know, who's going to be working in the business can be really important from a S-Corp standpoint. And sometimes, you know, what you're really trying to do is grow it up as fast as you can. You're going to burn a lot of cash in the process, and then you're going to try to sell it in a couple of years. Um, and, you know, assuming you meet all the requirements, you might want to be a C-Corp that then tries to take advantage of qualified small business stock treatment, which we'll, we'll provide some more information in a blog post on that. But but at a high level, qualified small business stock, if it's if it's treated correctly, held long enough, meets all the requirements, there's a lot of moving pieces to it. On sale of that stock, assuming you could do a stock sale there and you meet all the requirements, um, you can end up where the sellers of that stock pay no capital gains 
um, up to, I think it's the greater of $10 million per stockholder or 10 times their basis. Now, um, there's a lot of regulatory um, kerfuffle going on around taxes in Washington, D.C. right now, as there always is. And this is something that there's there's a target on. And so you always want to be mindful of, you know, what what is the dynamic? What are what are the risks that you're taking with any with any structure? Because the thing I can guarantee you is that tax policy is going to change <laughs> because you've seen D.C. It's a dumpster fire. Um, there's just a lot of stuff going on there. And state capitals, you know, state budgets are just as, you know, tight these days as federal budgets are. And so you've got a lot of people looking for dollars. And so when you're buying your business, this is about setting expectations, having good ex good conversations with your professional team, um, good conversations with your investors, as you're just trying to guess right as best you can. You want to take the best information you can. You want to try to guess, you know, uh, you, you're just making your best guess. And so I think that's important to understand because you're going to, you know, if you structure it based on the current situation, you need to know that there's people out there that are aggressive that want to try to change it. And some stuff is less likely to change than others, but everything's, everything's in play all the time because like I said, it's a dumpster fire out there. So, um, uh, but let's talk a little bit about <clears throat> some of the, uh, uh, at a high level, some of the, some of the advantages of a stock purchase for the buyer and for the seller. Um, <clears throat> a lot of times sellers will want, um, you know, they'll want a stock sale because it's, it's more advantageous to them from a tax perspective. And so, so a lot of times you'll see sellers that are trying to angle for that from a buyer's perspective, if you're taking on, if you're buying the stock, you're you're taking on all the liabilities, you know, of that seller entity. And so there can be a lot of exposure there for you that you really don't want to take on if you can avoid it. Um, but where a stock purchase can have some really big, you know, really big um, benefits for a buyer is, you know, d depending on what the nature of the business is and the nature of the rights that you're trying to acquire. If you're trying to go in and get a bunch of contracts that are not assignable, and that's the core value of the business is, you know, for instance, their customer relationships. They've got these key customer relationships where those contracts can't be assigned, but for whatever reason, you can buy them and you can step into them or the cost, for example. And you'll see this sometimes of actually transitioning all the assets and all the contracts and doing all the new stuff is just so extraordinary that we're so high risk that it just doesn't make sense from the buyer perspective. Sometimes it makes more sense to buy the entity and buy the stock there and try to get appropriate indemnities or other risk um, protections from the seller or or factor that into the purchase price. But but there can, there's pros and cons to both structures. And that's, again, we're kind of going back to the very beginning, taking time to understand what is everybody's priorities? How does everybody tick? How's that relationship work? Going through that, that initial diligence and really feeling out, okay, you you know, here's where the risks are. Here's where, you know, I need to get the value to optimize my priorities and, and the value that I'm looking to get out of things. Well, and something too is, is when you're doing that initial due diligence process and having that, like try to play out different scenarios that you think can happen over the next, you know, five years and, you know, seeing if that changes people's mm -hmm. um, decision in that. And, you know, in our situation, you know, you couldn't predict a pandemic, you know, yep. that wasn't something you couldn't predict, but, you know, knowing what we know now, we probably would have structured things a little bit differently, but, you know, we, we did what we could with the, with the information we had at hand mm -hmm. and we had a good deep conversation on that. And we made that decision. It wasn't just out of, off of a whim to do it. But, you know, that's something I do recommend is when you're thinking about stock versus asset is, you know, how do you, what are different scenarios that can play out over the next, you know, five years and then really talk them through. Right. 
Right. No, that's that's wise. And you know, as much as anything, especially when you're dealing with with investor relationships, having good relationships is about setting good expectations. And so really going through that process of sharing information, making sure everybody has their eyes wide open, they understand what they're getting into, um, that you have a sense of what your investors' priorities are, you know, what how they tick, that you've got a good, you know, amount of relational capital. Um to kind of go back to a concept we talked about early on in the in the podcast series, um, that you've got a good amount of relational capital with them, but then that everybody kind of understands and has the same expectations that this is how we're trying to optimize where we're at. But as everybody knows, and it's sort of like, oh, thanks, Captain Obvious. You don't know, but it's important, I think, to call it out is that you're trying to guess right. You're trying to guess right on a lot of these things because there's so many unknowns. And you can buy a business and take all the time that you need and spend all the money that you need to understand absolutely everything you can about the business environment and the business. But if you go down to that level, it's going to take you forever. You're going to spend way more money than you probably should in that, in that setting. And <clears throat> it's going to more likely than not undermine your overall value if you go all the way down to that level. And so what that means is that you're going to be dealing with incomplete information. Every time you're doing a deal, every client I've ever worked with, on some level, there's always going to be a blind spot because it's just not economically efficient to go figure out all the information and take all the time, or it's just yeah. not feasible. Like a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and your crystal ball is as broken as mine. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just, you know, don't know what's around the corner. And so you're just taking your best guess, trying to do your best. And um, that's not to downplay the importance of diligence or being thorough or trying to have a really good process because you've got to do that. Mm -hmm. um, because all you have is, I know that this is the case today. And so you're yeah. trying to operate off the best information you can. Yeah. So. Making the best decision, best decision with the information that you have. Right. I mean, and I think it's, right. it is that, and I think it's don't, don't overanalyze it, but mm -hmm. you know, I would say don't, don't, Underanalyze if that makes any sense. Like, don't spend the time on this, right. um, but don't try to figure out everything that you need to know. It's like, yeah, and this is again, we're having that great team that you've got access to. Like, like Jake, you, 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 I think did a really, really great job on your deal um, to to build a really good team where you had access to people with a lot of good expertise and a lot of good experience mm -hmm. because you're you're constantly trying to guess right and and guessing right on some things is a science um, because you can get enough information and there are enough tools yeah. to do it real precisely and accurately. But on a lot of things, it's like, where do I stop with diligence? Mm -hmm. When do I know enough to feel comfortable? Um, and that, you know, having a good team where you're, where you can, you know, lean over to somebody who's got um, real good industry experience and say, Hey, I, I, you know, I've looked at this and I've looked at that and I, I feel like I'm done, but what do you think? Should I ask for other things? And then, you know, they can chime in from their experience yeah. and help you, you know, get, get more comfortable and confident about whether or not you've guessed right on that. Yeah. And I, I should have mentioned this on when we, you know, who should you have in your deal team? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going out there and seeking investors is like, you know, it, you need to be strategic about who you're asking mm -hmm. for money because there money yep. is out there to be, to be had if you need to get investments. It's getting the right people that have, you know, that, that want to be, if you want someone that's going to be engaged, you know, make sure they have the knowledge to be engaged, mm -hmm. you know, and it, and this comes down to structuring your deal is having people that have had deal experience in the past. So they mm -hmm. know and can, can, you know, share their real world knowledge of like, this is what I went through. This is what we want. We think differently this time. I mean, I think that's so, so crucial is, you know, getting people on your team that, 
you know, want to to be engaged and actually use, you know, you know, use their, their knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. People that are going to have, and people that you're going to, you know, uh, have re- be able feel confident you can have good relationships with. Um, when you are thinking about raising capital from investors, as opposed to going to a bank and, and, uh, and financing things, y- you want to be really, um, intentional about having an early stage conversation with an attorney, um, about securities compliance. Um, there's, there's folks that just go out and they crack open the, you know, the business section and they'll go talk to whomever. Um, don't do that. Um, <laughs> uh, you want to understand the regulatory environment before you get into that. So um, uh, I'm going to go on to uh, asset purchase uh, structure and talk about that a little bit. Um, from from a buyer perspective, this is, you know, the most common structure because, you know, it cuts off um, a lot of the risks. When you're talking about Um, when you're talking about the, the risks that the seller brings to the table, you're, you're frequently talking about the historic liabilities. You know, if you're dealing with a seller that's been around for 30 years, um, that's potentially a lot of baggage to bring to the table. And for you to get comfortable with that, you may need to do a lot of due diligence. Well, if you're buying a business and you're doing an asset deal, um, you know, you're probably not picking up those liabilities, or at least if you structure it right and you dot the I's and you cross the T's, you're, you're probably not picking up most of those liabilities. And so that makes your process, you know, more efficient, but it also makes it a little bit cleaner to go forward. Um, and that can be really helpful versus, you know, picking up the whole legacy of the, uh, of the seller entity. Um, uh, from, from the seller standpoint, you know, that can have some tax disadvantages, um, relative to where they might've been from a stock purchase standpoint. So you'll, you'll frequently see people negotiate pricing a little differently under these, under these structures. Um, but there can also be advantages from the seller standpoint. Um, if, if I'm a seller and, and I feel real confident that, you know, I've kept my nose clean and I can get an asset deal done and I can get a better cash purchase price and, you know, my, my tax structures, you know, better than, um, you know, that, that can, that can be better sometimes for sellers as well. It's just going to get to depend on the circumstances. Um, another time where an asset deal can be advantageous for a seller, aside from just increasing the number of deal partners that they might have access to, um, you know, you'll, you'll see sometimes where the seller has, you know, multiple lines of business, um, and maybe they don't, they're not completely selling the whole thing, but they're selling some, some divisions or, um, there's, they're selling a, a piece of it to somebody else and they want to continue operating. And so that can have, um, benefits for them as well. Although, you know, there's always a way to, there's always multiple ways to do it. That's lawyer answers. There's always, there's always multiple ways. You just need to pay me enough money to do it. And a note that I wrote down for a seller advantage on the asset purchases is more or less you're starting from scratch. You know, you're not, Mm -hmm. it's kind of, you're, you're, you're not inheriting skeletons in the closet um, of, of different liabilities. You're not attached to any um, earnout performance or anything like that, because it's, it gives you the ability to say, I'm going to run my, the run this business, how I want to run this business when you do an asset purchase, because Mm -hmm. I feel with the stock purchase, you still have that attachment to that owner, um, the previous owner, um, you know, when you're trying to say, Hey, I want to, I want to make this my organization and I want to run this this way. Yeah. You can, you can certainly run into different dynamics there. Um, and so you just want to be real thoughtful as you approach it and what is, what is going to put you and, and your deal partner in the, in the best position here. And, and you want to try to figure that out early so you can start to point things in the correct direction because it is going to drive how much diligence you need to go to. It's going to, it could impact what your bank is willing to do, um, what your investors are willing to do. And so you just want to be out in front of that pretty early in the process. 
Um, another thing I want to talk about in terms of how you structure your deal is whether or not you're using multiple entities. Um, and Jake referenced this earlier in, in his deal is that you had multiple locations and so you had multiple entities, you, know, you had multiple sets of documents involved and, and different things like that. And so um, as you're looking at the business in the early stage, you want to try to figure out how do I want to really structure this and how is this going to come together in a way that's going to optimize my operational value going forward if I'm the buyer. Um, and then uh, and obviously as a seller, you want to try to understand things because you need to know how the documents are going to look and how the deal is going to come together and how you want to structure it in terms of negotiating points because sometimes those will those will influence you know what your your risks and and upside is on some things but um, you know particularly with real estate you'll often see you know multiple entities coming in and and a real estate entity buying up the dirt and then an operating entity buying up the um, the operations and, and it can get more complex from there, of course. Um, uh, the last structure I want to talk about is, is a merger. Um, you'll sometimes see this involved. There's, there's not a ton of merger activity in the grand scheme of things, but it does happen. Um, it's basically just putting two, two entities together <clears throat> and, what you'll frequently have happening there is that the seller is going to retain a piece. And there's certainly lots of different ways for the seller to retain a piece of the go forward entity. And sometimes that's going to boost their interest level and their commitment to making the value transition really well to the buyer um, to have that, have that piece of incentive there. Um, but, but sometimes you'll see that there's lots of pros and cons to that as well. Um, similar to some of the other things we've talked about, a big one being if you're, if you're merging the entities, you know, maybe it makes it easier if you're the new controlling entity to come in and, and pick up the, um, the contracts that you really want to have transition well. So, and with that, I think that's a wrap here on episode six. We're on episode six of eight of our overview series on uh, buying or selling a business. Thank you for joining us today. Um, really appreciate your time uh, to join us. I hope that you feel like you're getting some value out of this. We want to make sure that folks are getting educated, that they're being equipped and empowered um, so that they can have a more successful deal process. Thank you all, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you.